Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. The process was one of the most telling and nerve-wracking things I've ever done. Isabel McCurdy, a youth leader at this year's General Assembly Conference, is talking about her role in organizing a vote that called UUs and UU congregations to support the Black Lives Matter movement. She says that she struggled even before GA with her identity as an ally and her responsibility as a leader. But Isabel found the strength she needed through connection and collaboration with UUs of color and her fellow white allies. It's this theme of connection that Herb and I are excited to explore with you today. In our first pairing of word and music, we'll delve into how we connect across differences to work for systemic change. Then we'll take a more personal look. The systemic picture is not pretty. According to The Guardian, 186 black men have been killed by police in the US so far this year. Black people are two and a half times more likely than whites to be killed by police, and black youth ages 20 to 24 are seven times more likely. These are not new statistics, but white Americans and the general public are becoming more aware of the injustice. We're also seeing a rash of violence against transgender people, particularly trans women of color. So far this year, 17 trans women of color have been murdered. Most recently, Tamara Dominguez, 36 years old, was killed in the parking lot of her church. Tamara Dominguez, presente. The Black Lives Matter and Say Her Name movements are working to raise awareness and push for change. We can and should join in these movements. Unitarian Universalists are called to stand on the side of love and take action towards justice. We can talk about and post about the deaths and the actions that are happening. We can join in marches and petitions. We can donate to organizations and work with them for justice we can continue to really listen to young, black, and queer leaders. At General Assembly, Isabel discovered that one of the main obstacles to action was not knowing we have the power to care and change the world. She notes that through the whole process, the youth became a supportive and interconnected group, working together within and across differences. The power to care, she implies, is the impetus towards creating, towards connecting with others and acting on our belief. For any of us, there are many potential paths to connection and action. Some of us are directly targeted by oppression and violence. 
Others are less targeted, but know that our own liberation is bound up with the liberation of those who are most marginalized in our society, as Leela Watson put it so well. Some of us respond to our sense of anger and indignation about the world as it is. Others are inspired by a vision of the world as it could be. As a side note, let's make sure we recognize the importance of our anger and honor it by coming back to it in another conversation. For now, let's recognize that the common thread between our anger and our hope is connection and love. Both responses happen because we care. Whether our path is grounded in what is or what could be, we're led by a sense of connection with one another, or at least a desire to connect. We are led to seek justice when we tap into our love for one another and our love for the world. Both the roots and branches of Unitarian Universalism center us in love. In particular, our Universalist forebearers believed that we should work to love each other just as God loves each of us. As Gordon McKeeman put it, we're all going to end up together in heaven, so we might as well start learning to get along now. We work for equity in our world because God's love is equitable. We become the love we wish to make real in the world. Today, Kenny Wiley, a young black leader and director of religious education at our church in Denver, posits a UU theology of Black Lives Matter. Recognizing the inherent worth and dignity of each person as central to our theology of justice, he affirms the importance of our first principle. But he adds in Professor Dan McCannon's idea of radical hope. Radical hope is a response to injustice that grows through hope and love towards a more just future. The combination of valuing each person with a loving and hope-filled response to injustice can help sustain the fight for justice. When we become love for one another, we work not just within, but also across lines of difference. We collaborate instead of coexisting. We develop empathy in place of sympathy. Unitarian Universalists have always strived to act on love for one another and our neighbors. As Kenny Wiley writes, ours is a faith that has said or worked to say to those who have been marginalized, you are a woman, and your life matters just the same. You are gay or lesbian, and your life matters just the same. You are transgender, and your life matters just the same. You were not loved as a child, and your life matters just the same. You struggle with depression, and your life matters just the same. He continues, right now we are being called by our ancestors, by our principles, by young black activists across the country to promote and affirm. You are young and black, and your life matters just the same. You stole something, and your life matters just the same. I have been taught to fear you, and your life matters just the same. The police are releasing your criminal record, and your life matters just the same. They are calling you a thug, and your life matters just the same. 
When we say these words, we proclaim that each person is worthy of love and deserves to be treated with dignity. In today's world, this is no small proclamation, nor is it always easy. At General Assembly, Isabel McCurdy learned that doing good will break your heart, but we can only become the most true version of ourselves when we realize that the goodness that breaks our hearts is the same goodness that heals them. Connection. Friends, may we let our hearts open. May we welcome in the anger and the hope alike so that we can connect with each other. At the intersection of the systemic and the personal, let us respond to today by acting for tomorrow. For when we connect and take action, we become love in our churches and beyond. Amen. At General Assembly this year, one of the overriding themes was going beyond tolerance, which inspired me to write this next song called Until Tolerance Becomes Love. Some are taught to tolerate, some to coexist. But if that's all we ever do, there's something we have missed. Coexistence is a nice start, a break from the past, a step away from hatred, a first step but not the last. Just to stand each other is simply not enough. We won't truly understand until tolerance becomes love. We won't truly understand until tolerance becomes love. They say you need to walk a mile wearing another's shoes to understand their journey and the choices that they choose. Empathy, not merely sympathy, need to guide us on our way. Only then can we begin building a new way To just agree to disagree Sometimes is not enough We can't find salvation Until tolerance becomes love We can't find salvation Until tolerance becomes love to share each other's vision, to see as others see, to know life as they know it, compassion is key, to feel each other's joy and pain, to dry the tears they cry, to share their happy and their sad, and to understand their why. A handshake at the entrance, will never be enough we aren't truly welcoming until tolerance becomes love no we aren't truly welcoming until tolerance becomes love we aren't truly welcoming until handshakes turn to hugs
We aren't truly welcoming until handshakes turn to hugs. I have two stories to share with you about handshakes turned to hugs in my own life, how we connect with one another and hold hands during sacred moments. The first is about Ms. Jessie. She gave me a hard look when she found out I wasn't Christian. I can't blame her. When I came to visit her in her hospital room, I introduced myself as the chaplain, and in her world, chaplains were Christians. But and it was a moment of potential disconnection between the two of us. But when I asked her if she would prefer a Christian chaplain, she thought about it for a moment and said, you can stay. So I visited her in her room once or twice a week for the next several weeks. Ms. Jessie had the love of God in her heart, and she wanted to tell me all about it. It quickly became apparent that she wanted to convert me. And at first, this was actually touching. This person's faith had helped her through her most difficult moments. It was central enough to her life that she wanted to share it with me and hoped that I would feel the same effect she did. After a few days of this, though, I started to wonder what good was coming of our visits. As a chaplain intern, I was supposed to be providing patients with spiritual and emotional support. Ms. Jessie didn't seem to be seeking or getting support during our visits. She spent more time trying to convert me than talking about her own life. I struggled with what was happening and whether it was worthwhile, but I kept coming back and Miss Jessie kept welcoming me in. Along the way, she did share pieces of her life with me. I came to know her for who she was, a woman of strength and dignity, a former nurse and longtime lay leader in her church. I grew more and more fond of her. My irritation and discomfort turned back into compassion and appreciation as I saw the real joy that she got from her faith. Eventually, she had healed enough to return home, but the planning process ground to a halt. Ms. Jessie and the medical team could not agree. Worse, they had grown so frustrated with each other that the hospital's social worker felt they could no longer communicate well. Knowing Ms. Jessie was religious, she hoped I could intervene. I agreed just to go talk, just to go talk with Ms. Jessie and see what was going on. Ms. Jessie was distraught. I sat with her for a long time as she told me all that was on her heart. Distress about how she would manage at home, how she would care for her child, whether her at-home medical costs would be prohibited, prohibitive. She wasn't worried so much for herself, but rather for her son. She asked, what will happen to him? We talked about her fears, her hopes, the support she could, she could count on from her church community, and the relief that her church and her faith brought her. After that, Ms. Jessie invited the medical team back into her room. She told them what she had told me. This time, they listened. The social worker was able to suggest a few resources for her son, and the doctors were able to address her medical concerns. Ms. Jessie left the hospital later that day. 
Through the course of our relationship, my initial compassion for Ms. Jessie turned into some discomfort about our differences and, and then back into compassion and connection. Looking back, I believe there was value in the times when Ms. Jessie told me about her faith, simply because there is value in connection for its own sake. Further, those times laid the groundwork for Ms. Jessie to trust me enough to help her through her difficult transition home. For that connection to happen, we each had to be in the present moment, open to the other, and I especially had to stay curious about Ms. Jessie and open to what she was telling me, both with and without words. My second story is all about connecting without words. This past winter, I was in Myanmar for a class on international nonviolent movements, and I met and held the hands of a 100-year-old woman named Auntie Luella. Auntie was Professor Emerita at a seminary there. We first met one morning when our group toured her seminary, and I was impressed. To be 100 years old, to have traveled to multiple countries for study and work as a woman in the early to mid-20th century, to have returned to her country to teach her own people, to have seen and done all she had seen and done. Now she lived in a room at the seminary, mostly in her bed, but in the home she loved and surrounded by the love and care of students and staff. Now she looked wise. She nearly glowed. In the evening, wanting to offer her a little gift, I took my last piece of chocolate in hand and walked to her room with So, the seminary president and our guide. Chocolate is hard to find in Myanmar, and so we had brought pieces of it to share with people we met on our travels. I was glad that I had one piece left for Auntie. She lit up, clearly touched that I had thought of her. She took my hand, and I took hers. We talked a little. I tried to ask her about her life, but I had so many questions and no idea where to start. What could I even begin to learn about her in the brief moments we had together? And though she spoke some English, I did not speak her language and there was still a, la a language barrier. So our little conversation ebbed, and we fell into silence. She held my hands, and I hers. We were still, just there, together, for a long moment in time, as if the rest of the world had fallen away. We looked into each other's eyes, offering one another care and wonder. So said that it was time for me to go. Auntie said that she wanted to give me some food. She was grateful for the chocolate and wanted to give me something in return. One of the students who was attending her brought over two packages of crackers. They felt sacred. I think it's because they, like the chocolate, were really just love wrapped up in packaging. Lingering, we held hands for another minute. Then it really was time to go. Walking back to the group, I knew I'd been given a great gift. It was the gift of mutual regard, of seeing and being seen, a holy recognition of the goodness in one another. Our group piled back into the van and headed back to the hotel. The whole way, my hands were soft and warm with the memory of hers. 
with auntie and in any relationship, it doesn't matter if we can't communicate in words. It matters that when we look into each other's eyes, we see our shared humanity. When we are present to one another, we open to life itself. In this world filled with so much fear, holding hands can be enough. Human connection, hand to hand, heart to heart, soul to soul. It's how we heal each other and how we heal our world. Friends, may we share stories of who we are. May we listen deeply to each other and may we truly see one another. Let us offer our hands freely and wholeheartedly accept the hands that are offered to us. Amen. Holding hands across the expanse of time and space It isn't always easy, but although it isn't easy, it's for us to embrace Hold my hand if you can, there is so very, very much that a simple touch can do the touch of a loving hand can mend a broken heart. Holding on to love can be enough in this world of fear. It isn't always easy, but although it isn't easy, it's what we need to hear. Hold my heart if you dare There is so very, very much That a loving heart can do And the touch of a loving heart Can mend a broken soul Touching a soul Making whole The fragmented pieces it isn't always easy, but although it isn't easy, the journey never ceases. Hold my soul, if you will, there is so very, very much a healing soul can do. The touch of our healing souls can mend a broken world. Holding our world together, not apart. Sorting the false from the true. It isn't always easy, but although it isn't easy, it's what we need to do. And we can hold our world if we dare. There is so very, very much Our hands and hearts and souls can do Compassion and empathy can mend A broken world Compassion and empathy can mend A broken world
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.